The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Raising the Bar with your host, Amy Bredo. Do you ever listen to that inner voice? The one that tells you that you can achieve great things just by giving yourself a little push? Making that voice heard is what this show is all about. What if you could turn your negatives into positives? You'll hear from others who have embraced that personal drive and will help you raise the bar. Now, here is Amy Bredo. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Raising the Bar with me, Amy Bredo. And today I have an awesome guest to introduce you to. Her name is Sally Roberts, and it's such perfect timing because uh, with the Olympics going on right now and um, ladies Olympic wrestling coming up next week, this is a perfectly timed show. Sally is an accomplished elite athlete. She's an active duty soldier, a sports psychology consultant, and the founder of a 501c3 organization called Wrestle Like a Girl. Sally grew up kind of disadvantaged, and what that means to her, or I'm sorry, growing up from disadvantaged means, Sally found direction and passion in life through the sport of wrestling. It was through the sport of wrestling that um, she found positive reinforcement, again, direction, and a safe place to be after school. Sally was the first in her family to graduate from high school, earn an undergraduate degree in psychology, and an advanced degree in sports psychology, all while training for the Olympics full-time. Sally... I didn't realize even through all of our conversation yesterday that you were the first to graduate from high school um, in your family. That is freaking awesome. Now I'm even more excited to talk to you about all the things that you're passionate about. Welcome to the show. Hi. Yes. Thank you for having me. You know, in our conversations yesterday, I just was so um, intrigued and captivated by everything you had to say. So I was just wondering if you could share your backstory with our listeners and so they, they can learn more about you. Yes. So I have been an elite athlete since 2002. I got residency at the Olympic Training Center. And as I had traversed through my career, I really enjoyed all of the positive aspects that sports gave, particularly to females as you watch them kind of come into their own sense of self and their own courageous spirit. So as my time towards being an elite athlete was coming to a close, I decided that I was going to figure out another way to stay involved with women's athletics, specifically women's wrestling where I didn't actually have to be the athlete that was competing anymore. So I had the idea that I was going to start a 501c3, a nonprofit called Wrestle Like a Girl, with the whole premise that we get to support, empower, promote, and advocate for women's wrestling across the United States. And it was through that journey that I found that there's actually a lot of girls that want to wrestle. There's a lot of girls that want to be supported wrestling and giving them a bit of a voice so that they can say, this is what I do and it's really cool, has had a really profound impact. I think that is so true. And and, and as I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, I am not, uh, you know, I do figure competing and so I work out and lift weights and all that kind of stuff. And I've had people say like, would you ever think about being an MMA fighter? And I'm like, no, like the thought of getting punched in the face is terrifying to me. I I don't want somebody hitting me. But but when I think about wrestling and just... um, 
this might sound really weird, just a kind of a, an outlet to vent any kind of, um, I want to say aggression or just it, that to me is very intriguing. That would be something I would look into. How old were you when you got into wrestling? Well, it's a terrific story. So I was in eighth grade. And the reason that I even got into wrestling was because my mother was single and I didn't have any father figure at home, and my mother worked three jobs trying to take care of myself and my two older brothers. So as any kids would do when our parents weren't around, we could get <laughs> into so much trouble. I ended up breaking into houses, um, oh. shoplifting from stores, and just with a general hoodlum, always getting into fights in our neighborhood. I got picked up by the cops again, and the cops called my mom, who came down just totally exasperated, at her wit's end, and said, well, you're just going to have to take her to juvenile detention, because I don't even know what to do with her anymore. And so the cop looked at me and said, listen, if you don't find something to do, you're going to be going to juvie. And I was so panicked and scared, because I knew what that was from the community that I lived in. Right. So I had tried out for all of the girls' sports, softball, volleyball, um, basketball, and I got cut from every single one of them because I was told I was unathletic, but it was through the sport of wrestling. I was looking down their roster, and I saw that it was a no-cut sport, and I was like, well, that's it. That's what's going to keep me out of juvenile detention. So that's how I got into the sport of wrestling at all, even in the first place. That's actually pretty amazing because I think most girls, whether you're a hoodlum or not, may not even consider going out for that sport. Were there other girls on the wrestling team already, or were you the first one? I was the first one, and it was a bit of a deviation from the norm, especially from where I was at. Mm-hmm. Um, but my mom, she did construction work, and my friends growing up were in Seattle, and so there was a little bit more of a liberal mindset about what women can and cannot do. So when it went for me to transition over into that particular sport of wrestling, uh, I actually wasn't met with any resistance at all. They were all thinking, man, this is good. Hopefully this is going to straighten this girl out. <laughs> I think that's great. How, how did your team receive you and the coaches? I was received very well. Um, I'm glad. At the end of the day, I, I was an athlete that was in there to do a job, and I wanted to be successful. I was very—I didn't even know that there was a term called professional back when I was in seventh or eighth grade, but that's what I was. I mean, I just really loved going in and, and getting on the mat and really being aggressive and, and everything that they want to see in wrestling, which is that striving determination to be your best and continually push the pace and push your own limits. I could exude in all of those areas because I was really good at that. Oh, I'm so glad you found an outlet, and I'm so glad you took to heart what that cop said to you. Like, get it together. Yes. You, you know, especially because I think a lot of kids that um, go head down that path think they're kind of above the law and that they're not going to get caught. So I'm really grateful for that moment of clarity in your mind where you were like, holy crap, I better do this. <laughs> so yes. how is it? Your, let's talk about your wrestling season's you know, touch on those, like your first wrestling season throughout high school, what was the success rate like? How did you feel? Were you only competing against um, guys? You know, how, how I, I like that. I like that. Um, I like the equality in the sport. And I just was curious to see how your career went up before you went to college. Sure. So it's actually uh, yet another interesting piece. Um, and that is I wrestled uh, at 156 pounds when I was in high school, which a female 156-pound girl is totally different than mm-hmm. a, ma- a male 156-pound human. Yes. So I lost every single match throughout my junior high and high school career 
but I love the sport, and I loved having a team, and I loved the camaraderie. I loved everything about it. So even though I wasn't, quote-unquote, winning, I was... I found a place outside of my home where I belonged, and for me, that was the most important aspect. So when I got a scholarship to go wrestle against girls in college at the University of Minnesota Morris, I was so ecstatic, because at the end of the day, when I was competing against guys, I wasn't successful, but when I made that transition and I started competing against girls, I actually was very successful, because now I was wrestling against some more athletes that were the same composition as myself like we had the same build and I, I wasn't getting out strength right now when you got the scholarship for college and I apologize your phone kind of cut out so I was unable to hear where you actually went to school I apologize but I wanted to to know where you got the scholarship to how did they when you know I just want to encourage other female wrestlers to know that even though if they are competing against all the guys and they are losing, that it is possible to still be able to take it beyond high school. So did they calculate it by your points? Did you have a counselor helping you? How did, you know, what was the road that you traveled in order to qualify and get that scholarship? Sure. So what I had to do was understand the the Olympic style wrestling system. So that would be USA wrestling. Mm-hmm. And it's through USA Wrestling that you could go to a national tournament that was sanctioned for all girls. And it was through USA Wrestling that they had those ladder tournaments where you could start qualifying and getting ranked up according Great. to how you placed at tournaments. And so the wrestling for guys is more of a training scenario for me. And when I went to actually go to nationals or junior nationals, cadet nationals, any of those that would actually amplify my ranking, I did well enough that when it came down to me graduating from college, I didn't get a scholarship on academics. I got my scholarship strictly on athletics that was related to my results at those national tournaments. That's amazing. And I I would hope that through um, your activity in wrestling throughout high school, it made your home life a little less stressful because you were always busy, right? It did. It it gave me a sense of peace because I knew no matter what, there was a place that I belonged. And for me and for my personality and for many Mm -hmm. other kids out there, that's exactly what we want is to feel like there's a place where we can go, where we belong, where it's a safe space and we can be our authentic, genuine selves. Do you feel like it helped your esteem and helped you do any better academically? Did it give you any more focus? It did. It did help me academically because prior to that, I was on the cusp of failing out of school. But in order to stay on the wrestling team, you had to have a minimum GPA of a C. Well, so then I started applying myself to academics in a new way because I saw why I needed to be smart. And I saw the importance of why I needed to be intelligent. And that was to have a direct result on my um, athletic journey. But what ended up happening was that I started to believe that I really was smart and I really was intelligent. Mm-hmm. And these things that I wasn't getting taught in any other facet, I was starting to learn through myself um, as a way to help me engage in the athletic realm that I wanted to be a part of. I think that's so amazing that you had such profound thoughts at such a young age, realizing you know, that the importance of telling yourself that you're smart and that then that belief is created and that belief is developed. And I really feel like it's so important for young girls and young men to um, – really em- embrace that belief because that's really what can make or break you when you have a goal. If you don't believe it, you're done. You know, so so that's I very agree. interesting. That's very interesting. So tell me again where where did you end up going to college? 
Well, I have a bit of a longer journey to my <laughs> academia. I, I originally got a scholarship to go wrestle at the University of Minnesota Morris. Okay. And I was out there for two years. They ended up dropping their women's wrestling program. So I transferred back to Oregon to Pacific University, and I wrestled out at uh, Forest Grove, Oregon. And from there, I actually placed fifth at Nationals in 2001. The following year, they made an announcement that they were going to be starting a women's residency program at the Olympic Training Center to gear up for the first time that women's wrestling will be in the Olympics, which was 2004. So I was one of those first set of girls that got residency at the training center, and I was out there. I still live out here training and competing and going over to the training center. So I moved out in 2002, and I really haven't left. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, So you're training for the Olympics. You're out there in 2002, and the games are in 04, you said? Correct. Okay, so what does that look like? I'm sure there's huge team camaraderie, or is it cutthroat competition and nobody hangs out? Or I mean, how how does that work? What does that look like for for girls that may some be somehow or you know be Olympic hopefuls? What do they? I just want to kind of give them a clear picture of what that kind of looks like. Sure. So it all is dependent on how the athlete wants to be involved in their training scenario. For me, because I really like being a part of a team, there's about 30 to 35 girls out at the Olympic Training Center um, during any given training season. And it's up to us to decide how we actually want to be involved. So there are some girls that really like to have their independence and want to do their own thing and like to be more solo in how they train. But then you have girls like me, and I really like the team camaraderie. I, I like hanging out with my teammates. I enjoy the feeling of belonging and that sense of worthiness that I get from being around people that are like-minded and and equally motivated. So for the training scenario that I had put together, it it was that I was with my team, I was with my best friends, and and we hung out all the time, both in the wrestling room and outside of the wrestling room, and, and chose to grow off each other in a really profound way, both in in athletics and in life. So even from that very first moment of coming to the Olympic Training Center in 2002, some of my best friends from that era have gone on to become doctors and lawyers and uh, nonprofit moguls, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I love that. So in our last few minutes here, before we take our first break, um, you know, what was that two years of, of training like and how does that work? I mean, I'm assuming there's more athletes there than actually get to go to the Olympics. So you have to qualify. Do you have to, is it based on points or matches that you win? How does, how does one um, compete to earn that spot to go to the Olympics? It is really competitive. And at the end of the day, there is only one tournament that counts and it's the Olympic team trials. And only the number one person to emerge out of that tournament victorious is going to make the Olympic team. So in 2004, for the first Olympics, I wrestled at 63 kilos, which is 138 pounds. I ended up taking fifth, um, not not as well as I wanted to do, but right. my friend ended up taking first, Sarah McMahon, and she went on to wrestle in those games and took a silver medal and has since gone on to MMA stardom. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. Holy smokes. So in our last few moments here, before we take our first break, um, and we can, when we come back, we'll touch back on the continuation of that and then your time of serving, which I'm excited to talk about as well. You know, what, um, how did that feel? Let's, I mean, you said you got fifth. It's not, not as well as you wanted to do. In this last few moments, what was the teachable moment in that placement for you? 
because I'm assuming that you moved forward to train for the next round of games. Right. I was so inspired by all of the Olympic movement and going through my trials, even though I didn't play so I wanted to, all it did was reignite this passion and this fire to say, oh my gosh, I can do whatever I want to do as long as I build a plan, make a goal, and drive forward to it and continue to surround myself with the people that believed in me as much as I believed in myself. So even though I took this, I recognized that that was the beginning of a really cool journey And it was for me to write how I wanted it to go. And it was up to me to decide how much effort I wanted to put into it. So going forward, the training that I had done was fairly lackadaisical in comparison to what I was able to pull out of myself the next quad going forward. That is amazing. We're going to go to a quick break. I think that was such an awesome message to... um, pause on. And when we come back, we're going to hear more from Sally Roberts. And thank you so much. You are listening to Raising the Bar and we'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Have you considered expanding your family through adoption, but don't know where to start? Are you looking to get some answers and direction on how and where to start? Reach out to the community at the Echo Foundation. The Echo Foundation offers five distinct areas of support. For those children in need throughout the world, we are here to support you and guide you through your process and beyond. For more information, please visit amybrado.com and click on the Echo Foundation. That's amybrado.com and click the Echo Foundation. There are over 147 million orphans and at-risk children in the world. It's a global problem, but you can make a huge difference. You can help from home or on the ground serving opportunities. Please visit amybrado.com and click on the Echo Foundation tab to request more information. Our vision is to build a self-sustaining ecosystem of ideas, individuals, and organizations equipped to carry out the mission of hope for every orphan in the world. Help us with our goal of helping every child in need. Visit amybrado.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You're listening to Raising the Bar with Amy Bredo. We'd love to hear from you with any comments or questions about the show. The email address is amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com. That's amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. And welcome back. You're listening to Raising the Bar with me, Amy Bredo, and the amazing story of Sally Roberts. Two folks, be sure to jump onto Facebook. You can locate Sally Roberts on there. You can also check out her website at russellikeagirl.com. Do I have that right, Sally? Russellikeagirl.org. Org. Oh my gosh. Sorry about that. I'm glad that I asked the question instead of kept babbling. Sometimes that happens too. So WrestleLikeAGirl.org. Is there also a Wrestle Like a Girl Facebook page? I know we talked about social media yesterday. Yes. We have a Facebook page, Twitter, and Instagram. 
Okay, perfect. I just want people to be able to find you. Absolutely. So jumping back into what we were speaking of, um, you didn't make it through your first Olympic trials to go to the 2004 Games. And I love the message that you send so loud and clear about just having belief, surrounding yourself with like-minded people, and how it can push us to be our best. So what did the next you know, so that so you, do you stay in Colorado for the next four years, continuing to train for the 08 Games? I do. So I stayed in Colorado, and I had really invested in my training at a whole new level. Um, I sat down with my coaches, and I watched film, and I watched video of myself and of my opponents, really invested in what it meant to be an elite athlete. I had regular meetings with sports psychologists and with nutritionists, physiologists, anything that I could possibly get my hands on to increase the knowledge of what it was going to take to be successful. And I would go in in the morning before practice, and I would stay after practice just to get in a little bit more reps or executions, developing my technique to a little bit better degree than what I had earlier. Because at the end of the day, like when you're talking about elite athletics, like what it takes to for you to make the Olympic team and not make the Olympic team, it's usually milliseconds or one mover, just oh, a gosh. little bit extra. So working to just get that little bit extra. I really had in- invested myself into that process wholeheartedly. And so then bring us up towards the games for 08. So the Olympic qualifiers. Yeah. yeah how did that go? I had been doing well all year. <clears throat> and unfortunately, like, because of, I, I started wrestling when I, when I was in high school, I was about 158 pounds. And when I had medaled at the world championships, I was wrestling at um, 59 kilos, which is 130 pounds. So I had been losing weight uh, uh, and in a very healthy way. Um, right. Unfortunately, when I was wrestling at 55 kilos, which was 121 pounds, um, I had just started to get really exhausted. The training that I'd done over the course of the year was really starting to take its toll on me. And towards the end, that I, I really just wasn't performing as I needed to to make the Olympic team. Uh, one of my friends, Marcy Van Dusen, ended up beating me in the finals, and she was she went on to Beijing. I still went over to Beijing and as the alternate. And was able to go and support her and spent a month touring around China. Um, but at the end of the day, I fell up short, and it had a really profound impact on me because when I looked in the mirror, I said, I did everything I could have possibly done, and I 100% knew that. There was no extra sprints or reps or any sort of anything I could have done. I couldn't have eaten any healthier. I, I basically took on every challenge that was thrown at me and I did it to the very best of my ability and some days you're just not good enough. So I had to know that that didn't affect my value or worth as a person. I was still good and I still was worthy. I just wasn't good on that day. And so then I transitioned on with the next phase in my life. Yeah. Again, I am, um, amazed at your awesome positive outlook. And I don't know if amazed is the right word because I feel like every person should feel that way. You know, knowing that it's okay to do your best, give 100% and sometimes it isn't good enough and being accepting of that and knowing that you did everything and then just taking that deep breath and moving forward where I think it would stifle so many people and and hold them captive in that place of what if, what if, what if. Or um, So I, I, I 
it's amazing to me that in just knowing that little bit about your background that you're able to keep that mindset. So it's awesome. So we, you go to Beijing and you tour and you're there. And I think it's really great that you got to experience that with your friends too, because I'm sure that they really valued that time with you and the fact that you were there. Um, so what did you decide to do next? What were your, what was your next phase? Upon returning home, I sat on the couch and I thought, what do I do now? Because I had just spent um, a, a significant portion of my time, six years, eight years, however you want to like quantify it, viably determine right. that, um, for this one particular goal that I came up short in. So I, I was sitting at my couch. I was sitting at my house on my couch, and I was kind of going towards depression, and I thought, you know what? I need to do something. I really need to shake something up here in order for me to gain some perspective because at the end of the day, I lost a game. I didn't die. No one's hurt. No one's sick. So I actually went to an Army recruiter. I went and joined the Army, and my military occupation is psychological operations. Um, And as soon as I was able to deploy, I went up and volunteered for deployment, and, and I said, I really need to go to Afghanistan because there's some good that I can do in this world, and I probably need to be over there doing it. They looked at me and they were like, well, she seems crazy, but she's really fit, so we'll send her. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It does seem crazy, but I, I, like, the, uh, I like the risk taker in you. So how did, let's, let's kind of um, get in your head with this. You know, so you decided to join the military, and I'm not sure how long you took to make that decision. And take us kind of through what it was like you know, going in and going and being in Afghanistan. For my personality, I really like to be out doing things. And so it was a bit of a challenge because I had lived on a, I was living on a compound um, and we were there for six months. It was really hard for me to get outside and, and do things physically to try and change my space. I'm from Colorado Springs. So I'm really used to going to the mountains and trail running and trail hiking and, and the deployment lifestyle is just fairly different. But what it did was force me to use the facilities that were there. I, would go on the treadmills, I would go lift weights, and instead of the avoiding of the equipment that I'd use to help me prepare for the Olympics, I was now put in a circumstance where I needed to use that because that was all that was there. To back up just a little bit, I'm actually blessed with ADD. (laughs) So I can only sit and do paperwork or some sort of like task for so long before I have to get up and take a physical break to let my, my mental capacities recover. And that was such a blessing in disguise, I had no idea, because what happened was is that it forced me to confront something that I had been putting to the back burner, which was training. And while I was over there, I ended up falling back in love with the physicality of sport again. So while I was over in Afghanistan, I reached out to the Army's world-class athlete program, and I co- called up Coach Sean Lewis, and I said, hey, Coach, uh, my name's Sally Roberts. He said, I know who you are. And I said, well, listen, I'd really like to join the Army's world-class athlete program. And because I hadn't told anyone that I actually joined the Army, he said, well, sure, you're going to have to join the Army first. And I said, well, good news. I'm over in Afghanistan. When can I come back? So they said, well, gosh, when you redeploy, come on over and check in at WCAP. Because my ranking was still residual from taking second at Olympic trials. So I was ranked high enough because you have to be ranked top three in the nation in order to even get into this program. So as soon as I landed into Fort Dix, New Jersey, and as soon as I finally got back to Colorado Springs and 
and redeployed, I went over, I walked right over to the Army's world-class athlete program, and I said, hi, I'm Sally, and I'd like to check in. And they said, welcome. And it was really an easy transition. It was very smooth, and it was so good. Were you able to keep your positive outlook um, for the things you wanted for yourself and the things you wanted for others while you were in Afghanistan? How long were you there? I was there for six months, and I had to diligently work and think about all of the things that I was so grateful for. Because in a war zone, there's just so much that can weigh you down. And Mm -hmm. even someone like me with my really positive mental attitude and, and outlook, even I even had to say, I have to go take a break. I have to go get me time. I need to go run. I need to go and get centered because it does start to weigh on you. And there's few people I found that really flourish in that environment. Um, it was fairly interesting because before going out there, I thought, man, I want to keep working for the government forever. I want to be doing something, maybe work for an agency or get involved at, at doing something really quote-unquote cool that I see on TV. Well, I got accepted to the George Washington University (laughs) into their strategic security studies, and I was taking classes in terrorism while I was deployed, and I thought, man, this is not me. I really need to do something happy because right now I'm kind of getting sucked into a darkness that I know exists, but I think that there's other ways to combat it than by me going down this rabbit hole. Right. And, you know, I'm thankful for the people that do have the ability and capacity to study that because we need them. Um, And I'm glad that you recognize that it wasn't the right place for you either. You know, I think that there are uh, there's definitely certain people that are fit for specific jobs. So it's good that you found that. So when you got on to um, the team with the military, what was that like? I mean, they welcomed you with open arms. They were probably so happy you were there. They did. They welcomed me with open arms. They were so happy I was there. And the Army's wrestling team, all of the world-class athlete program that encompasses all the sports within within that military structure, it is one of the more phenomenal units that I've ever had the privilege of being a part of. Because one of the things that they do is they really encourage the self-belief. You have to be able to be an adult. You have to be a soldier. You need to be responsible and reliable. So in comparison to my athletics at the Olympic Training Center um, versus the military, they just expect a lot more out of you. And at the Olympic Training Center, it's simply go to practice, go take a nap, eat and recover. Within the Army system, you have to go to practice, (laughs) take a nap, eat, sleep and recover, and do any military duties that also have to happen. So it is a very different way to approach athletics. But they do a really good job at it, at, at teaching people to really believe in themselves, to know that they can do whatever they're capable of, as long as they're willing to pay the dues that's going to lead to success. So for being a part of that program, it was a, a really profound impact on me because it, it said, hey, we believe in you. Men and women alike support you, and we're always going to support you, whether you're in this unit, whether you're in the Army or not. So the camaraderie that has come through from that group uh, is at a very deep level. That sounds awesome, actually. That I, I, it's it's like the epitome of team spirit. <laughs> I, I like that. So then, you are still in the military, correct? Correct. I I'm in the military. I get out actually in October. Okay, and so then what? 
now let's, you know, swing kind of back around of what you have been working on so that you have, you know, your focus for what you're going to do when you are um, finished with your military service. You know, let's talk about Wrestle Like a Girl. So, so the Wrestle Like a Girl concept came from a, a component that I was being utilized in for my world-class Army program. We would go out and do these total soldier enhancement trainings, and it was a group of five of my um, other elite athlete soldiers. And we would fly to different military installations and talk to them on the importance of goal setting and having a positive mental outlook and all of these things that, as an elite athlete, it's, it's, bit, it's a bit of a second nature because we've been developing these skills since we've been involved in athletics. But we would go out and talk to initial entry training soldiers, and we would talk to um, those that were getting ready to go to advanced individual training. Mm-hmm. And we would say, hey, there's these really cool skills that are going to help you guys develop. And I was really shocked that they said, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. And I thought, ooh, that means they don't know. <laughs> so, so as the, that program started to expand, I thought, man, you know what's really cool is if we could take these same mental skills trainings and start teaching them to other females that want to be involved in sports at an earlier age. Because if I could have understand the importance of goal setting and the positive mental outlook, and if I could have clearly defined that in my head at an earlier age, who knows where I could have been farther down the road. So I started to spin the wheels in my head, and I thought, oh, I really like wrestling. I really like teaching people about the the mental skills of sport, and not even just of sport, but of taking a test and how you can apply that to your personal life or professional life, your relationships. So I sat back, and I said, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start a nonprofit, Wrestle Like a Girl. USA Wrestling already exists, but there's no specific group that's targeting girls, specifically girls like I was, which was socioeconomically disadvantaged. We didn't have money. We didn't have really have means. And so I reached out and I said to one of my friends, um, he's a lawyer in D.C., Tim Clinton, and I said, hi, Tim. I would like for you to help me start a 501c3 <laughs> because here's what I want to do. I want to go out and teach girls that they can do anything that they want to do, especially wrestle, and it's going to have benefits on their life. Right. And just like that, with just a one person making the phone call to the right person, it, it took off. And within four months, I had my 501c3 status, and we had already started planning events and camps, and it has just had a really awesome ex- explosion. That's amazing. How did you rally um, support through, you know, volunteers and board members? Was it was it other fellow wrestlers from the army or from your Olympic training, or was it just people that really saw you know saw your vision and jumped on board? It is the combination of all of the best parts of my life that I've interacted with. So I have five board members, including myself, and each of them are people that I've met along my journey. So. One of my first roommates, Taylor O'Donnell, she was an Olympian in 2004. She has such a good heart and such a good mind and really thinks about what is the best way to help people and how can we encourage more of a giving nature and how can we be more selfless and how can we think outside of the box so that we can touch more lives. She's one of my board members, and I selected her for just that reason. Uh, one of my Army World Class Athlete Program members, Jack Jensen, he's has his master's in nonprofit management and he loves wrestling and he's this walking thesaurus of 
wrestling knowledge. So when it came to incorporating someone like him with his mental skills, it was a no-brainer. From there, Emma Randall, she is one of the assistant coaches at USA Wrestling, and she has a vision and an, an intelligence towards the youth wrestling in the United States that's unparalleled towards nearly anyone else that I've ever met. Um, she's already really involved with cadet camps. So that's girls that are um, early high school. And so she understands already the, the pulse that they have. And then the other girl that's on our board is Catherine Shai, who has an amazing heart, is such a giver, and has had so much success wrestling and, and has an ability to understand how to relate to girls in a way where we say, we're going to make this a really cool brand. Um, the, the Wrestle Like a Girl, it's going to be as something that girls want to be a part of, and we're really working to raise the bar. We've reached out with a, and, and are having conversations right now with a really big apparel company to say, hey, can you make us some clothing that would work well for girls that want to wrestle? Because they're not built like little boys, and if we keep giving them the same stuff, it's going to be really disheartening. And so she's had the vision of how to really get girls to want to buy in and to want to wrestle and to come to our camps. That is amazing. And I like, I like, that's a kind of a weird way to say it. I think it's awesome that you can leverage um, your position and your experience to get these other people involved and these clothing companies involved and everything. And I think it's uh, such a gift that you're giving back and the, you know, the people that are on your board and everything. So what are the first, so you got your nonprofit established and all that kind of thing. What are the first types of camps or opportunities that you were creating or that you created to, um, you know, spearhead this movement? Well, because we are completely excited about the Olympics and women's wrestling coming up, the first thing we did was reach out to some people that are in our Colorado Springs community and say, hey, we want to have a gala. There has not been a formal presentation of our Olympic wrestlers before Rio. And the way that it works in the Olympic world is post-game, like before the Olympic Games start, every, every athlete's on um, a bit of equal playing field in regards to the excitement and what their potential is and, and how they potentially can do at the Games. But after the Games, it really comes down to what you look like and what sort of medal you won as to what kind of the post-Olympic Games exposure you're going to get. Okay. And to some degree, it also makes a difference what your sport is. So we knew that we had a very short timeline to get these girls honored in a way that they deserve. So we, con- we reached out to our local fine arts center. We had a caterer come in, and we had our very first gala, Glitter to Gold, to celebrate our girls going over to Rio and hopefully becoming one of America's first gold medalists for women's wrestling. Oh, that's so amazing. Now, did you were you able to um, get donors to put up some of this? Is it some, was there fundraising that you did previously to help support this event? We... We did fundraise. We had, so we had to sell tickets, which is how people got in. Oh, right. But we also had a community of people that have rallied together to support the organization and to support the gala. And they're, they're people and organizations that have never supported women's wrestling before or wrestling. So it was a brand new pool of people that are coming out of the woodwork to support. So we had Veterans Liquors, um, Athleta came out to sponsor us and to support us. We had 
some one of our friends from the Fisk real estate team come out and buy a table. So we had people that were absolutely willing to help us to promote not just female athletics, but what strong females who are intelligent and well-spoken and, and give them a platform for them to use their voice and say, thank you for helping me, and here's how I want to help pay it forward once my Olympic Games are finished. That is amazing. That is amazing. So I bet the athletes, too, are just so excited to participate in that because now, look, they're all in Rio, and every, all the excitement is building up before um, you know we hit next week. Our, our show actually will air the same time as the women are going to compete in the Olympic Games, but we're kind of uh, doing a back to the future thing here. So let's talk yes. about that. I know you are really excited to talk about our athletes that are competing in the Games. Yeah, we have four girls that are Olympians for the United States. They are 48 kilos, 53, 63, and 75 kilos. They're all terrific women. Um, Haley Aguello, she comes out of Illinois and is a recent graduate from King University. This is her very first senior-level team, and she happened to make the Olympic team because, as we discussed earlier, uh, it doesn't matter how you do throughout the whole year. Whoever wins Olympic trials is going to make that Olympic team. Right. She wowed the world. She wowed the world by beating someone that was really, really good. And so she's getting ready to compete. She's, it's really cool to watch her come into her own sense of self and grow. We, at our gala, we had a forum where we had the athletes come on stage, and there was a bit of a question and answer in the audience. And as the forum went on, it was really neat to see her really getting invested into the answers and, and helping other girls see where she came from and how she got to where she's at right now, which is our 2016 Olympian. Amazing. So let me understand correctly. Is there only one person that goes or is it like a, a normal wrestling tournament where there's different weight classes and everything? We have, we have four Olympians that are in Rio right now. We have Haley Forgive me if that was weird. Kilos. Question ask. <laughs> oh, no, that's Go. good. So we have Haley Aguello at 48 kilos. We have Helen Maroulis at 53 kilos. We have Elena Parishkova at 63 kilos. And Adeline Gray is competing at our heavyweight, which is 75 kilos. And the really neat thing is that Helen Maroulis at 53 kilos and Adeline Gray at 75 kilos, they're both ranked number one going into this Olympic event. It's really exciting. It is exciting. I'm trying to put the whole kilo thing and transferring it to pounds in my brain, so I kind of have an idea. But, um, you know, what are the? what do you feel like the um, major – I mean, every country is competitive. What, you know, we're actually going to go to break really quick. But when we come back, I wanted to ask you. So we've we've got these girls. They're ranked number one. They're going in. I would love to talk about who like the fierce competition is. And I know that's just objective. That's our opinion. Um, but I'm curious about that. So we're going to take a quick break. And in just a moment, we'll be right back with Sally Roberts talking about ladies wrestling in the Olympic Games. We'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Have you considered expanding your family through adoption but don't know where to start? Are you looking to get some answers and direction on how and where to start? Reach out to the community at the Echo Foundation. 
The ECHO Foundation offers five distinct areas of support. For those children in need throughout the world, we are here to support you and guide you through your process and beyond. For more information, please visit amybrado.com and click on the ECHO Foundation. That's amybrado.com and click the ECHO Foundation. There are over 147 million orphans and at-risk children in the world. It's a global problem, but you can make a huge difference. You can help from home or on the ground serving opportunities. Please visit amybrado.com and click on the Echo Foundation tab to request more information. Our vision is to build a self-sustaining ecosystem of ideas, individuals, and organizations equipped to carry out the mission of hope for every orphan in the world. Help us with our goal of helping every child in need. Visit amybrado.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You're listening to Raising the Bar with Amy Bredo. We'd love to hear from you with any comments or questions about the show. The email address is amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com. That's amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. And welcome back. You're listening to Sally Roberts um, and me, Amy Bredo. We are talking about Wrestle Like a Girl and the Rio Summer Olympics that's going on right now and ladies wrestling. So, Sally, we've got about seven minutes left in our show, and I know there's so much to discuss. But when before the break, I was uh, curious to your thoughts. And again, this is just our thoughts as to um, how you think – the competition is going to be? How do, you, how do you think these games are going to go or, or what are your kind of thoughts in, in looking at uh, the competition that we have for our USA athletes? Well, I, I can say that the number one country right now going into the Olympic Games is Japan. They have a fairly robust team and it's been developing um, fairly well over the past couple years. However, at the end of the day, we really just have so much faith and hope in our own female American Olympians that no matter what happens, they're always going to be successful to us. But going up against Japan and Russia, um, those are the China, those are some of the powerhouses that we're used to, including Canada. Um, it's, it's definitely going to be a challenge. They've been working really hard. They've been watching hours and hours of video and working to fine tune their technique and any available aspect they, they can possibly think of um, right now. They're kind of just on coasting, getting their recovery in and making sure that their body's all rested up for this huge tournament that comes up next week. Um, but at, at the end of the day, we really think that they all have what it takes to, if not win a gold medal, every one of them can get on the podium. It's so exciting. It gives me goosebumps thinking about it because... Um, it, it gives me like that feeling you have when you watch Rocky, <laughs> he's, you know, and he's oh, training yeah. and he's, and he's getting ready. And so I'm really excited to watch these games. And I think, um, you know, I've been trying to keep up on the Olympics anyway, just because I enjoy watching the competition, but I'm, I'm super excited now, especially because of my connection with you to watch, uh, the wrestling. So I, I, I thank you for, for bringing that to the forefront. Um, you know, we've got these these hopefuls, these women, and I want so badly for them to win the gold. I'm not going to lie. I want them all on the podium. That's my hope for them. What do you think um, this will do for Russell Like a Girl? I, I know that, you know, 
having your friends involved and other um, Olympic hopefuls and, and, you know, past Olympians on your board is huge. I think um, even getting, do you, the, how do I word this? So the women that are qualified to compete next week, are they involved with Wrestle Like a Girl at all? What is your um, relationship with them? And, or do you plan on reaching out and getting them to be involved with your organization? They are all involved in some aspect because they all wrestle and they all demonstrate some of the skills and abilities of what Wrestle Like a Girl embodies, which is intelligence, perseverance, um, getting back up when you get knocked down. Helen Marulis has a really phenomenal story of in 2012, she was ranked number one all year. She ended up losing in the finals of the Olympic trials, best two out of three, and fell short of making the Olympic team. So she had to reinvest in her training. She had to get to understand a little bit more about her passions and why she's doing what she's doing and figuring out her purpose. And she reinvested and has since made the 2016 Olympic team. And so we have some really awesome girls. We get them involved as much as we can. Adeline Gray has been a huge advocate for what Ruffle Like a Girl embodies. She's our number one ranked athlete going into the games and is willing to come out and has helped us so much with promotion and advertising. And when it came time to planning for the gala, she was over at the house stuffing envelopes and saying, hey, maybe you should send an email. Can you send an invite to this person? I know them. They might want to come. Or can you send an invite to this person? They might want to come. And it's really cool because at the end of the day, the heart of all these athletes is the give. Now that they're invested in themselves, How can they pay this forward to the next generation? And so right now they're not as involved because they're clearly all down in Rio getting ready for the game. But going forward, there's absolutely a plan to incorporate each and every one of them because they have something that they can bring to the table, which is the fact that they're an Olympian that's really going to be amplifying the message that girls can do anything. If they want to go out and do something, they can be an Olympian. They can go wrestling college. They can win a gold medal. And it's really up to each athlete as they're embarking on their athletic journey to decide what do they want their future to look like and how hard are they willing to work for it. That's so amazing. Now, are you keeping your events? You had mentioned some camps and everything. Are you keeping that right now pretty local in Colorado? And then, you know, is, I'm assuming the plan moving forward be to, would be to do events or camps in different areas of the country. But have you've had some camps with, with young girls involved already, or is it pretty much still in the planning stages? We've got about four minutes, so I thought that was interesting to share. We, so for right now, we're staying fairly local because we're really building the base of the organization right. and making sure that all the components that are involved are as they need to be in order to have um, transparent nonprofit status. But next year, going forward, we're reaching out to different states. We are, the plan is to have 10 camps, one per month in each state of the union, and try and reach out and get as many girls to these camps as possible. We're finding donors that are willing to um, supplement some of the costs so that as many of these girls that want to attend can do so without incurring any cost because wrestling normally pulls from low-income, socioeconomically disadvantaged. So any way that we can get these girls there and say, hey, here's what we have and here's what you can be a part of and we want you to join. So right now we have four different colleges and universities that are going to be gracious enough to host us. Um, and then once we get the other six signed on, we'll, we'll send out our schedule and post our schedule on our website and social media, getting anyone that wants to come to these camps signed up. 
That's amazing. Now, um, if they go, if, if someone was to go to wrestlelikeagirl.org, is there a place online to donate? There is. So wrestlelikeagirl.org, there's a donate button. There's also a store if you want to go and get some gear that says Wrestle Like a Girl. Um, but we also that's also where you can sign up for camps as well. So in January of 2017, we'll have our official camp list up. And we encourage everyone to go and sign themselves up. Or even if you can't attend a camp yourself, if you'd be willing to go and purchase a spot and donate that to an at-risk kid, that could be a really cool way to be involved in the organization. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even think of that. That's an amazing idea. So I could go on there, purchase a spot, and then donate it. Correct. Yep. What is the cost for that? I'm just curious. I'd like to let our listeners know because really when you think about the value of what these kids get out of the camp, it is such an awesome gift to give. Yeah. So our camps are a two-day camp. And there's about six hours of instruction by elite athletes, world champs, Olympians, and the cost is $100. So anything that we can defer so that the athlete doesn't have to pay all of that is a huge benefit. That's amazing. In our last moment or two here, I just wanted to <clears throat> excuse me, really encourage our listeners to go to wrestlelikeagirl.org. You can also find, find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But really... Um, I would encourage our listeners to really think about that and, um, you know, prayerfully check out the website, make a decision, and possibly even buy a spot to donate to uh, an underprivileged little lady who is really, really hopeful and um, has such a huge future ahead of her. So that's something I would definitely like to look into. In our last moment here, Sally, is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners or a message you'd like to deliver? I would just like, I would just like for everyone to really appreciate where we're at right now as a country with women. We have Ronda Rousey, who is this phenomenal MMA star. We have Sarah McMahon, who's also this phenomenal MMA star. We have so many girls that are really starting to come into their own because we're accepting that girls can do anything just like guys can do, whether it's wrestle or science or MMA or anything like that. And so we encourage everyone to come out and start to join the revolution of embracing these girls as they come into their own strength. I love that. Sally, I thank you so much for spending time with me today, um, sharing your vision, sharing your experience and your foundation with everybody. I appreciate you so much being a guest. I want to encourage everybody to please tune in to Olympic Ladies Wrestling next week, or it would be today if they're listening to the show today. So check your local listings and be sure to watch. Check out WrestleLikeAGirl.org and Sally Roberts. Thank you again so much. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Raising the Bar, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Raising the Bar. Please listen for another edition with your host, Amy Bredo, next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, get out there and keep raising the bar. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericaempowerment.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 